You are listening to Where is the Line? The stories you will hear will be depraved, disturbing, and true. If you are easily unsettled, you may find this program offensive. And if you are under the age of 18, fuck off. Let's see what happens when radiation penetrates the body and attacks the cells. What is a cell? And what happens when it is attacked? Everybody drinking blood, everybody eating brains. Some monster party. Everybody eating flesh, everybody breaking bones. Some monster party. Thank you for listening to episode 31 of Where's the Line? My name is Kevin. And with me today, looking at her phone, as we record, is my dear friend Ashley, who's still still looking at it right now. Mm-hmm. Say something disturbing, Ashley. Shadow guide. Shadow guide. When you hear the phrase shadow guide, honk your horn. Ugh, we've already been talking about how we've been this week. It's been just a fucking shit week. It really has been something else. Mm. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> Let's not go into a lot of that. Um, I will say, though, we got to hang out with a few... Patrons a couple nights ago, um, we had our monthly hangout for free. We got to hang out with Kevin from Groveport and his brother Andy and also Cassie. Was Cassie's boyfriend's name? I forgot. I forgot too, but he did take his shirt off. Yeah, we did get some nipples at some point. (laughs) Yeah, there were some nipples. There were some man nipples at that hangout, so uh, you missed that. Andy can talk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's a chatty fellow. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we do those hangouts about once a month. Every now and then, somebody uh, that we've interviewed in past episodes will drop by. If you ever want to check one of those out, take a look at patreon.com slash whereistheline. They're free for now. At some point, we're going to make those patron only. Speaking of patrons, we got uh, four new ones Woo-woo. to talk about. Our new patrons are Jennifer Henry, Riley Williams, Keely Mooney, who's an Australian. Nice. And someone who joined us for our hangout, Cassie Andersh. She was so sweet. We learned something about, uh, Cassie's from Tasmania, and we learned something very unfortunate about Tasmania during our hangout, which is that they don't celebrate Halloween down there. That's crazy. That place can just fucking sink into the ocean for all I care now. (laughs) (laughs) Halloween's great. What the fuck's wrong with Tasmania? Doesn't doesn't make sense. Not only do they not celebrate Halloween, they look down on it. According to Cassie, they think it's foolish. I don't know. I guess they just don't have fun. Yeah. What? That's crazy. <laughs> but anyway, just kidding about hoping you sink and drown into the ocean, Cassie. We actually really appreciated hanging out with you. No, She's definitely. Super sweet and also well dressed. Yes. Very well dressed. Well, she was going to lunch with Nan. So. Yeah, we hope you had a good time at your lunch with Nan. Well, all right. Since Ashley and I had such shit weeks and don't really intend to relate any of that shit to you, you want to go ahead and get into this episode? Let's go. Let's do it. (laughs) On September 30th, 1999, a 35-year-old man named Hisashi Auchi was working at the JCO Takamura plant in Takamura, Japan. On this particular day, he'd been asked to forego his normal daily responsibilities and assist with a project that was being conducted at a nearby experimental nuclear reactor. His job this day, essentially, was to hold a funnel 
while another dude poured a uranium solution into the funnel Ouchie was holding and from there into a specialized container. Ouchie and this co-worker filled up six containers with this dangerous and unstable solution. As the pair began to fill the seventh container, though, there was a flash of blue light, and Ouchie heard the man with whom he was working shout, Run for your lives. Oh, no. You don't want to hear that when you're working at a nuclear power plant. (laughs) No, absolutely not. Ouchie, like the others who were nearby and heard this proclamation to run for your lives, darted out of the room, and he made it several doors down and inside a changing room, where he began vomiting, and shortly thereafter, he lost consciousness. Over the following months, almost everyone who came into contact with Ouchie would, in their own time, come to wish that he had never awoken from that collapse. But he did wake up, and that was the first of 83 days that would eventually prove themselves to be among the most painful that a human being has ever endured. And that's what we're talking about today! (laughs) (laughs) Hisachi Auchi, and the most miserable 83 days a human has ever experienced. I I love your inflection on that. That's what we're talking about today. <laughs> I like to come out of something really dark <laughs> like that. I don't know. I think I think it lightens everybody up. You know, I don't, right. don't want to leave people in a, a bad mood or feeling bad or anything, you know. Right. I'll perk Pick up, up a little bit, you know. No matter how horrible the subject matter is, yeah, you got to perk up a little bit and people are going to get depressed. And it's already depressing times right now. Right. We don't need to add to that. <laughs> so how did this happen? This accident uh, that Ouchie had, which Ouchie, by the way, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's just so unfortunate. I mean, I'm, I know it's been said a thousand times anytime, anytime someone's talked about this story, but how unfortunate is it that your own name, uh, when translated into English, is a moniker for pretty much the least amount of pain you could have, you know? Um, Ouchie. You've got an Ouchie. Yeah. Yeah, well. <laughs> I mean, his name, I mean, you know, it might as well have been Boo Boo. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> anyway, I would not describe what ended up happening to this man as an ouch. Right. Right. Um, so how did this happen? So if you notice the if you paid attention to uh my obviously pre-written and read monologue at the beginning there, I don't know if that's obvious to people that I just that first paragraph or so I just write that whole thing out. I'm not sure. Maybe I, I just like the way it flows that way. I don't know why. Anyway. I mentioned that that Ouchie was working at a nuclear power facility and that he was using a funnel to get a uranium solution into this container that they had. And if you're thinking to yourself, I never imagined nuclear power facilities (laughs) uh, dealing with (laughs) incredibly dangerous solutions by one guy pouring them into a funnel that another guy was holding. If you were thinking that, you're absolutely (laughs) fucking right. (laughs) They weren't supposed to be... I mean, this is... So so that was not protocol? That was not protocol. Mm. There are rules surrounding this type of thing. You were never supposed to be pouring uranium solutions into funnels that a dude's holding. (laughs) Never. And the powers that be at the Takamura nuclear facility knew this. 
Right. But they knew that there were ways to safely accomplish what they needed to do that were less time-consuming and involved as these really long sets of procedures. Hmm. So what they did at Tuckamore is they made what ended up being called the Shadow Guide. It was essentially an unofficial document. It turned out to be, (laughs) it was proven to have been approved by the head of the plant at the time later on uh, in court. Uh, But it was a document that a lot of the uh, supervisors at the plant were aware of, and they would follow those procedures instead of those longer drawn out governmental procedures. The fact that it had the name Shadow Guide Mm -hmm. is probably an indication that they shouldn't be doing that. Well, everyone who was using the shadow guide knew they shouldn't, knew that it was against the rules, not that they shouldn't be doing it. But now also, these are very smart people. These are, you know, nuclear physicists. Right. They found a method that was safe, and it was safe. It wasn't approved by the government, but it was safe. Now, what happened (laughs) that uh, led to Ouchie's predicament with the funnel and all of that is... uh, so the shadow guide's essentially a shortcut. <laughs> and uh, what Ouchie's boss had done was made a shortcut for the shortcut. So a guy who was maybe not as <laughs> competent as the nuclear physicist who came up with the shadow guide, which did work, right. came up with his own little guide that uh, cut more corners than even the shadow guide did. Uh, oh, I see. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So uh, they had already come up with shortcuts and decided to make shortcuts for the shortcuts. Got it. Okay. So this blue light. So Ouchie is holding this funnel above this container. This man's pouring the solution into it. Ouchie himself works at this nuclear facility. He knows what they're doing. It's not as though he's completely ignorant of the danger, you know, potential dangers involved with the substances he's working with. But he doesn't know anything about the regulations. He doesn't know that this isn't a government-approved method of Mm. doing this. And so as this this other man's pouring the solution into the funnel that Ouchie's holding, there's this blue flash of light. Mm -hmm. And everybody runs away. So this blue light that they see is resultant of what's called the Cherenkov effect. Okay. During a process of creating a fission reaction, electrons move faster than the speed of light. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. And if you've ever heard that uh, nothing can move faster than the speed of light, I've heard the same thing. So I don't really know how this fits into that. <laughs> but these electrons... Uh, in this uranium solution that that Ouchie and his co-workers are working with, um, and that's what's supposed to happen, but it's not supposed to happen while you're holding the thing. Right. And so these, you know, when these electrons go past the speed of light, it's all a good explanation of kind of what happens, and you can compare it to a sonic boom. So, you know, if an airplane, once it exceeds the speed of sound, you get this big rattling boom, and this sort of conical shape forms behind the airplane. It's as though, you know, objects are not meant to travel faster than sound. And when that happens, there's a clap. The same thing kind of happens with light. I mean, it's obviously not the same thing, but it's very analogous to it. Where if one of these electrons moves faster than the speed of light, it produces a clap. Kind of like a, a sonic boom. Hmm. Except instead of sound waves propagating out from it, it's neutrons. Hmm. There's just billions of these neutrons that are exploding outward. Right. 
And those enter Ouchie's body like millions and millions of bullets. And then when they go in, they produce such an unusual effect on your physiology. I mean, what happens from these gamma rays and this radiation? Right. It's, I would rather be shot a thousand times, really. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, when I read what happened to Ouchie, it's one of those things <laughs> that I, I feel like a lot of people read it. Like, I read all the blood and guts and things, and it doesn't really get to me. Mm-hmm. But something just that bizarre happening to you on that kind of level. And it's not even, right. the, it's not even the, the fact that his skin eventually falls off. It's what causes it to fall off is, is what's so terrifying to me about it. It's all pretty terrifying. It's yes. all pretty. Oh, yeah. It's oh, all yeah. fucking awful. It's all. It's a mind fuck, really. Yeah, but that detail about how his body begins to, to kind of decompose right. around his own mind is just... <laughs> so how much radiation was he exposed to? He was exposed to about three times what a human being can be exposed to within a year and not die. Oh, my God. <laughs> so in an instant, he was exposed to the amount of radiation that would kill you over the course of a year. Before the incident happened with Ouchie, there had only been 20 of these criticality accidents that had ever happened anywhere in the world, and none of them had ever happened in Japan. Japan had never had an accident like this before now. Right. And so immediately following Ouchie's accident, uh, you know, I said that he passed out. Mm -hmm. uh, They took him to a nearby hospital immediately, the closest facility they could find that could care for him. He stayed there for about two days while they were getting kind of the radiation under control that was coming out of this plant from the accident that just happened. Which, by the way, that radiation was not dangerous to people in the area, really. Um, when you think about something like Chernobyl, right. when when that explosion happened, they had graphite and things on the ground. They had radioactive material around that was still emitting radiation. What happened with Ouchie was one burst right. of radiation. Then it was essentially gone. It still had to be stabilized, but it wasn't as though radiation were shooting out of this to all the surrounding areas like it was in Chernobyl. Right. Anyway. So the first couple of days, he stays at this uh, this medical facility uh, that I believe was on site there. After that, he gets transferred to Tokyo University Hospital. And obviously, they've called ahead. Uh, the people there know what's going on. But like I said, this has only happened 20 other times in the history of the world. So they don't know what's coming in, really. And so... You know, like a lot of people, you think about nuclear accidents, you think about these pictures from Chernobyl. These people look terrible. Right. And so, so these nurses and these doctors, they form, they form a team from every single department at this hospital in Tokyo. They have their best people waiting at the door mm-hmm. for Ouchie to come in, and they're expecting to see something awful. Right. What they see is just a guy laying on a stretcher, and his hand looks a little bit red. <laughs> That's it. And they ask him how he felt, and he says, fine, except for his hand hurts. So was his hand, like, blistered? When uh, he- no, it actually didn't look very bad at all. I have a picture of it. I'll put it on the website. Okay. No, it, it, it looked maybe like he had scalded it in hot water, but not even terribly seriously. It was just a little bit red. Gotcha. So among the first tests that they ran on Ouchie when he got to uh, the, the hospital, which, of course, when he got there... They're running all kinds of tests on him, but one of the first things they find out is that his white blood cell count is dropping. They kind of expected that. Mm -hmm. They also 
expect that Ouchie's going to need stem cell treatment. Not the kind of stem cells that come from babies, the kind that can come from relatives. Right. So his sister, who, uh, his poor sister, is throughout this going to prove to be the only donor available for several things that they're going to give to a man with a 0% chance of survival. Oh my God. The radiation that he's had, by the way, doctors at the time who looked at at what had happened to him, who were familiar with uh, radiation therapy, he could have had a third of a smaller dose of radiation, and he would still have a zero percent chance of survival. Right. And that's that's what throws the doctors off at the Tokyo University Hospital, is that they're being told that this man can't possibly survive, and then he comes in there... Essentially, he could have just walked in there if he wanted to. Right. He seems fine. His hand's a little red. He's got like a red spot on his face. That's it. Hmm. Um, and so right then, the head doctor at Tokyo, Maikawa, he thinks we can save this person. For one thing, it's been 20 years since anything like this has ever happened. Mm-hmm. And he actually has a decent point right here when, when he says, medicine advances incredibly rapidly. It's been 20 years since something like this happened. We have all types of medicines and treatments, not necessarily for this, but that might be applicable to this. So we're just going to give it our best, see if we can save this guy. Hmm. So immediately they're planning to give him this stem cell treatment, and it's going to be stem cells that they get from the bone marrow of his sister, which even being a donor for that kind of thing is pretty painful. So you right. feel bad for her too at this point. And so we've talked about on a previous episode how stem cells work, and I know that I'm getting too much into some things, but... This particular thing, I've got to get into this. If I don't get into this, you won't know why this story is so scary (laughs) to me, at least, (laughs) because this is the scary part. Okay, so stem cells essentially take the form of the cells that they come in contact with. So, you know, like your baby, uh, you need a lung. These stem cells come in, they kind of figure out how to become a lung, and then they sort of propagate and build your lung. Um, they, you know, they, they can take on the form of the cells that are by them. This is all orchestrated by your chromosomes. Your chromosomes, you know, people describe it as the blueprint of the human body. Right. Uh, you have 23 pairs of chromosomes, and they do things like tell your body how to produce new skin cells. You know, if you get scratched, it's how your body knows what to do with this. It's the instructions for being a human being. Right. They take a look at Ouchie's chromosomes, mm-hmm. and the doctor looking at it had never seen anything like it before. Ouchie's chromosomes were completely blown apart. Oh, my God. So a normal person has these 23 pairs. Right. And this is, you know, connected. You've, see, you've yes. seen the, the, you yes. know, the charts of chromosomes. And when you looked at Ouchie's chromosomes, it looked like just a bunch of little dead worms. Oh, my God. Just completely obliterated. If you think about almost everything that physically makes you a human is dependent on these chromosomes. And because Ouchie's body does not know how to do anything in terms of repair or much of anything else, if you were to give stem cells to Ouchie at this point, his body wouldn't even know what to do with it. 
it wouldn't recognize it as anything. His own body doesn't know it's human anymore. How fucking terrifying is that? Extra terrifying. And what's even more terrifying is that he's still walking around and talking. He, at this point, is essentially dead. His body is no longer what you would consider to be alive. It's hard to wrap your mind around it because he's not alive anymore. But he just doesn't know it yet. That's really horrifying. The people who do cell therapy know it immediately. The guys that look at his at his chromosomes Mm -hmm. know that there's no way. There is absolutely no way. There is no treatment. Every treatment that we have is meant to heal or repair a person or at least an animal or a plant. Something with chromosomes. But Mikawa... The doctor. Yeah. I mean, brilliant doctor. He was the head of the hospital. But he is not a cellular therapy doctor. So he says, I think we can save him. (laughs) 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 For those first few days, Ouchie seems essentially normal. His condition starts deteriorating really quickly by the second week the nurses weren't allowed to use tape on his skin because we had mentioned that his body doesn't know how to do anything anymore so naturally as we go about our day we kind of lose dead skin you know Mm -hmm. we take a shower we kind of lose these old dead skin cells and then our body recreates them right ouchie skin cells are still falling off like they normally would for all of us, but they're not being remade. So if you if you see pictures of Ouchie, he looks like he's been burned. And I think that that's uh, a lot of people, when you know they see those pictures, they think, oh, this guy, an explosion hit him, you know, all this stuff. Uh, what actually happened was his skin slowly, literally fell off. Uh, <laughs> I hate it. And it never regrew. Those injuries are just bizarre to look at because you can say that he looks like a burn victim. But when you look at those pictures, it's clearly not. Right. It's something else. It's, it's, uh, it's a type of injury that only exists in this one condition. So um, there's, not much, there's not much else that looks like it. I can't imagine what that would feel like. Uh, well, <laughs> it was terrible, apparently. <laughs> uh, so Ouchie's skin is disappearing, but his nerve endings are still being exposed. <laughs> so he can feel. Just because the skin is falling off doesn't mean that he can't right. feel things anymore. Those nerve endings are still coming up through there. And like I said, they're exposed. And, oh, my God. And, you know, and they had to quit using the tape because they were taping bandages and things to them. And then when they would pull it off, the skin would come off with <sighs> the tape. Eventually, they couldn't even use regular gauze on him. So by the end, he would have to have his entire body wrapped. But regular gauze... Even that, how you can feel the thread in there, mm-hmm. it was too abrasive for his skin. Because mm-hmm. at the point where his skin just died, mm-hmm. um, it, it, would, it was no longer adhering itself to his body very well. So anything, <laughs> any, anything would knock these portions of his skin off. And let's not forget that he's still alive. <laughs> right. 
And so in the second week, th- this is kind of what Ouchie's going through. He's, you know, he's starting to look bad. Uh, he's going to start looking a lot worse later on because we're still only on week two of an 83-day ordeal. Right. But the doctors, um, they give him an x-ray and they notice this mass in one of his lungs. Mm-hmm. And uh, they decide that what they're going to have to do is to drain this. It's some kind of fluid that's built up in his lung. And part of the process that they're going to use to get this out is they're going to have to inflate his lungs. The way you do that is you put a mask over the person's face mm-hmm. and you adhere it tightly enough that there's no air leakage around the side. And then you kind of force air in and it blows the lungs up. We just talked about how... Ouchie's nerve endings are exposed and his skin's falling off. They don't feel like they have any choice, though, but to do this. Mm -hmm. So they put the mask on Ouchie's face. And he was in terrible pain just with the light touch of a bandage and some ointment. That hurt him. And so when they push hard on this mask on his face... Uh, this is when Ouchie just finally loses it. Oh, Up until this point, he'd kind of kept a, he'd kept optimistic. For one thing, the doctors haven't told him that he has a 0% chance of survival. He doesn't know. Right. His family doesn't know either. And so Ouchie, throughout this entire time, has been like keeping a good sense of humor. You know, when he first came in, they had to bathe him in things. And he joked with the nurses that he's embarrassed and to go get his wife. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, he didn't want her to think he was cheating or anything. You oh, know, that's or really something adorable. Like that. And, you know, and all this time, and his wife uh, visits him every day. And she's hanging outside making all of these paper swans. So he's, he's kept his chin up. Until this point. But when they put this respirator-type mask on mm-hmm. his face, it's going to blow this air in. He loses it. And he starts screaming as loud as he can. The type of screaming that he's doing is very sad because it's, it's desperate screaming. It's, it's a man in his 30s screaming for his mother. Right. Literally, he starts screaming for his mother while they're doing this. Oh, my God. And he says... I can't take it. I'm leaving. He he screams that he is he's done with this and he wants to go home and that he's leaving. The doctors calm him down a little bit and finally they get through this procedure and they're able to take care of this problem with the lung, which is something that would have killed him and maybe should have. Right. Definitely should have. Right. For his own good. Right. So once the, once the procedure's done and they calm Ouchie down a little bit, the doctors decide that Ouchie's going to have to have a breathing tube inserted. And that means that it's going to have to be inserted in his trachea, which means that... He won't be able to talk. He'll not be able to talk anymore. So right after he is screamed in pain... Right, and wanting to go home. Immediately they- after that, he loses his ability to ever do that again. <laughs> So by the third week, Ouchie's being fed via a tube, and one day he starts shitting green fluid. Uh, It turns out that his body is not absorbing the nutrients that they're giving him through the feeding tubes, Mm -hmm. Um, so they have to do an endoscopy, which is tricky because a lot of his insides are deteriorating in the same way that his skin is. So they're going to push this... uh, endoscopic camera uh, into his anus, and when they push it in there, they 
see for the first time the damage that's going on internally uh, in these intestines. Oh, my God. Um, what they find is that Ouchie's intestinal lining is becoming separated from the intestine itself. So as they pass the endoscope through his intestines, they can see the lining actually drooping down inside the intestines themselves. Ouchie's no longer able to process nutrients. His, his intestines are essentially just a passage through his body at this point, a passage with holes in it. So in order to keep Ouchie alive, for whatever reason, rather than using a feeding tube, they're flushing his body with nutrients. To decide how much of this nutrient solution they need to flush through Ouchie's body, they weigh the soiled blankets from the previous flushing. So essentially they flush his body with a solution of nutrients. Later they come back and weigh his sheets and blankets to find out how much of that he was able to retain. Ouchie is now just a consciousness trapped inside an artificially alive human body. And he's still got 62 days left to live. Thank you for listening to part one of this two-parter on the miserable final 83 days of Hisashi Auchi's life. We save the gross parts for the next episode, uh, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss that. We're available on iTunes and probably any other podcast app or website that you're likely to visit. Oh, I don't know if you remember me complaining that we were about to run out of reviews, but it happened. We have no new iTunes reviews to read this week. Dagnabbit. But on our website, whereistheline.net, we did get a very nice message. Okay, cool. This comes from Des from Ireland. Des writes, I'm definitely a fan. Great show. I've recommended it to a load of people. A load of the lads in my job are going around listening to it while they're working. <laughs> I will probably say that. That's awesome. That Nutty Putty episode was fucking mental. What a horrible way to go. Fuck that shit. <laughs> Mr. Hands was another great episode. I laughed so much. The Mortician was very interesting to listen to. And Bruce Pardo, the Bat Bomb, and the one where the lady was stuck to the Jack's seat. Uh, I suppose Jack's is Irish for <laughs> shitter. Yeah. <laughs> Those are all hilarious, and there's a load more great episodes. You're all very easy to listen to, funny, and instantly likable. Oh, wow. This is the second time somebody that's listened to the show has referred to me as instantly likable, and we know for a fact that they can never have met me to know that. <laughs> <laughs> Which, also, you can also ask Kevin from Groveport's daughter, because he <laughs> introduced her to us. 
on the uh, on the hangout last weekend, and I pretty much immediately made her cry. <laughs> Wait, Saturday night? Yeah, yeah. He introduced his daughter. She'd been to on, but she she was on last month too. Yeah, she came on this time, and uh, I told her if she ever visited Alabama, it was fine, but she wasn't allowed to touch any of my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then I could not convince her that I was kidding, and so she wept. Oh, Kevin, so, what the fuck? Oh, I thought I thought I was making a joke. You know, I wasn't being serious. I don't. She could come over and touch all the stuff. I don't know. I don't know how to make jokes with kids. Obviously that was. Not. Uh, I oh guess. Oh my god. I guess she didn't get it. No, she's a child, Kevin. You. <laughs> I don't talk to children. There's I don't know how to talk to too children. Too much crying on that hangout. There <laughs> was a lot of crying on the hangout. Wow. <laughs> Let's keep going with Des's. Des's message to us. Moving on, Des says, Most of the other podcasts I listen to are very formal format. Just the facts, facts, facts. Which is what I usually prefer. Yours is the only informal, casual-style podcast that I can listen to, so fair the fuck play to you. (laughs) P.S. Animated eyebrows are a good thing, and Boudet is a dickhead. (laughs) All the best. He signed off by saying... Deuces. Nice. Deuces. Thanks, Des. <sighs> That's such a nice message. I'm not going to go into the big day thing. I wasn't the one that mentioned him this time. I was just somebody wrote <laughs> we'll it. We'll just laugh and move on. Moving on to voicemails. <laughs> this first voicemail comes from someone who's become a pretty good friend of the show. This is Calendar Kevin from Groveport. Hey, guys. It's Kevin from Groveport. Again, not as uh, saucy as I usually am. I'm um, just calling to say thank you so much for that greeting. Super sweet. Yeah, quarantine's been weird up here. Um, things have pretty much been opening back up across the state. And I have my qualms with it, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been quite interesting. Um, I just recently, this week as a matter of fact, they offered us a two-week self-quarantine if needed. And they offered that back in February when all this was really starting to hit the fans and I soldiered on through it, and then this last week at work, uh, a couple weeks ago, a fellow on our on our shipping dock who we all work close quarters with had COVID, and um, they, you know, he stayed home and went to the doctor, got tested, he was positive for it, and then he came back Tuesday, so naturally we're all kind of like, okay, well he's back, so he must have gotten tested, well... He was freely explaining to everybody how uh, the doctors asked him if he was feeling okay. He said yes, and they said, well, you can go back to work. And my job said that it is not policy for anybody to be tested uh, before they come back to work after testing positive for COVID. So it wigged me out pretty good, to say the least. So I went ahead and took my two weeks of quarantine to stay away from that motherfucker. I'm imagining when I go back, it's going to be a plague of people, but I don't know. I just kind of worked out. So, yeah, I hope you guys are all doing good down there. You know, I hope things are looking up and up. Seems like it is. I'm awaiting the next uh, episode. By the way, your Paul Rubin poster in the background of your greeting was awesome. But uh, anyway, you guys take care, and uh, hopefully 
I will be talking to you soon. Um, I'm really interested in that Zoom thing, too. And as far as, like, the Ohio Buckeyes thing goes on, that's one of my curse words I was going to tell you, like, is the Buckeyes, because I absolutely hate everything that has to do with Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, and quite personally, I hate football, but... Oh, Kevin from Groveport. Calendar Kevin from Groveport. <laughs> who we've begun calling him because uh, at his brother's suggestion, that Zoom meeting that we had, we didn't have hardly anybody show up, and I think a big part of that was that I announced it on the last episode and then forgot to put a link to it anywhere on the internet. (laughs) To which Calendar Kevin called me out on and saved the day. Uh, Otherwise, we wouldn't have been able to have it at all because of my own negligence. Whoops. Sorry about that uh, Rona-infested co-worker of yours, Kevin. Please stay away from him. Shoot him if you have to. (laughs) We have more voicemails, Kevin. Yes, we do. (laughs) Yeah, I believe it was the last episode that uh, Amber from Alabama had to leave a two-parter because she got cut off after 30 minutes not to be outdone. (laughs) Calendar Kevin from Groveport has done the same. Hey, it's Kevin from Groveport again. This is message part two because I rambled on too long and the voicemail got cut off. Screw the Ohio State Buckeyes and screw football. That was what I was trying to say, I guess. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that was the uh, the ending to my last voicemail I left. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, seriously, you guys are awesome. Um, thank you so much. Uh meant a lot. And, um... I await more, and I definitely would love to get in on that Zoom thing. Yeah, it'd be pretty funny. So, um, I don't know. I will talk to you guys again. Goodbye. Thank you so much for that voicemail, Kevin from Groveport. Um, fuck them Buckeyes. Yeah, fuck the Buckeyes. Yeah. Roll Tide. <laughs> <laughs> That's Roll what tide. we say here in Alabama. If you're not from America, we've got a football team here, the stadium of which holds literally more than the population of the city. It's the Alabama Crimson Tide, and for whatever fucking reason that nobody knows, we all say Roll Tide around here. We do, indeed. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail of your own, you can give us a call at 386-227-7848. That spells something, but I don't quite remember what it was. Dumbass tit. Dumbass tit, that's what it was. Grab your phone and spell out dumbass tip on the dial. Again, that phone number is 386-227-7848. Dumbass tip. We got anything else we need to say? Well, just the outro. Like, thanks so much for listening. Oh, wait. What are you talking about? Like, thanks so much for listening. Like, I say... Don't you say something like... Yeah, I think I do say something like that. <laughs> and, then, and then you're like, okay, thanks so much for listening. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that thing that I've done yeah. 30 other times. Yeah. But okay, that's the thing you're talking about. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you again soon. Deuces. Bye, guys. You're so stupid. <laughs> you're like, what am I supposed to say? I don't fucking know, I dude. Bye. I think we have to say bye. episodes have ended with you calling me stupid. <laughs> I don't think you're really stupid. I know. (laughs) Kids, when you go to bed, stay away from your closets and don't.